I want you to stand with me, and uh, I want to read to you from Hebrews. Our key passage for today is going to be Hebrews and uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Now, as I read these words, I was thinking this morning as I was praying over them that I, I can't imagine something better to be able to read to you this morning. If these things be true, we are of all, of all people most blessed. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse number 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. That's why we've been singing about him all morning. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because those things are true, look what the scripture says in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Father, we believe in Jesus. We believe he is the son of God. We believe he is our great high priest. We believe he has ascended to your right hand. And we believe because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we can draw near to you, and we can do so with confidence. And not only can we draw near to you, we can, we can find help from the greatest helper that there is, from God himself. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to awaken a, a movement of prayer at Calvary Baptist Church, we're known for anything i'm asking father in jesus name that we would be known to you as a praying church as a people who seek your face we believe the only thing that sustains prayer is the simple fact that you are worthy to be sought so would you use this morning to sharpen us encourage us correct us challenge us warn us and do all those for our good we're coming to you seeking help to pray, believing you will help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Last week we started what will be a four, five, six-week series or so on the subject of prayer. Prayer is something that as Christians we would say we all know we should. Prayer is something we should do. Prayer is something we need to do. But then when it actually comes down to the doing, that's where the rubber meets the, meets the road. And so I'll just call to your mind a little illustration that we used last week. Uh, our family wasn't able to get the fire pit out. That's one of our favorite things to do is get the fire pit out. I looked at the weather, and I think we're going to be able to a little bit this week. But this past week's still warm. But you understand what the fire pit is. Our fam family loves to get it out, put some wood in it, strike the match, and then we take turns kind of stoking the fire so that it continues. Now, the fire has two, two things that it does. One, it provides light, and secondly, it provides heat. So a way of thinking about it is this is what a church should do, right? We provide light, the light of the gospel, the light of the hope that we have in Christ. Because we live, friends, in a world that is dark. But praise God, Jesus himself is the light. So we have a responsibility to, to let the light shine. And then secondly, the fire provides heat. And a way of thinking about that as a church family, that we provide the warmth of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Amen? To help people, to serve people, to put others first. Now, a little um, silly uh, analogy we used last week is if you came to our house at 8:30 on this Tuesday night when it's 
supposed to be in the 40s, so we'll have our fire pit going. But you come, and there's me and my family, my wife and our children. We're sitting by a fire pit that's not lit, and we're just sitting there. And we got our hot dogs and our, why is the word slipping my mind? I'll tell you why it's slipping my mind. This is why it's slipping my mind. Somebody among us came and put this Kit Kat right here on the podium, and it's drawing my <laughs> attention. That's why we do fighter verses. No temptation is given to man, except which is common. He will provide a way of escape. <laughs> we just put the Kit Kat under the hymnal. But um, uh, the graham crackers with the marshmallows and the chocolate. Thank you. Don't know why. It's not in my mind. So we, we're making our s'mores over the fire pit, but the fire's not lit. And we can have all sorts of efforts and all sorts of motions that we go through. But if there's no fire, there's no light, no heat. And while we keep coming back over this second week in a row for this illustration is that is, a ch- that is a picture of a church without prayer. Because prayer is the match that lights the fire and prayer is what sustains the fire from to, to, to go. And we can continue to go through the motions and, and do things week in, week out. But without prayer... As a church family, we're not going to long-term provide the light of the gospel or the heat that loves our neighbors. We saw last week a, a picture of a Peter. Uh, I love the fact that in 1 Peter 4, 7, God uses him to write this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Because there was a time in his life that Peter was not self-controlled. There was a time in his life when Peter was not sober-minded. And of all times, in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus asked him not once, not twice, three different times, Peter, would you watch and pray? And each time Jesus comes back and finds Peter not praying, but sleeping. And I just want to remind you again, the next two things Peter does, I think, are indicative of what any church or any person who claims to follow Jesus will do if they're prayerless. The first thing is that Peter, when they come for Jesus, as, as he's not been self-controlled and sober-minded, he gets out a sword and tries to cut somebody's head off. They've got at least the dexterity to move, so he cuts the ear off. Do you remember this happening? This is what Peter's doing. So one, a prayerless church becomes violent political aggression. That's what will happen. The second thing that happens is Peter is, is continues on, and he sticks around for a little while, and then all of a sudden... He's by, um, ironically enough, a charcoal fire, and uh, he's there, and they start to come up and ask him, as Jesus is before the high priest Caiaphas, aren't you one of his followers? Not once, not twice. How many times? Three times. I don't even know him. Here's the second thing that'll happen to someone who's prayerless, is when the heat gets turned up, you'll deny you even know him. That's what happens to a prayerless person or a prayerless church, but there's grace, friends, right? There's grace, because God uses Peter to write down for us as we studied last week the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded and what are the contrasts we see in the midst of peter's prayerlessness and and peter's um, faithlessness right beside it is christ's faithfulness and in christ's prayerfulness we have a great high priest now this this morning uh, we're going to continue thinking through prayer and as i was sitting and thinking about it this week, uh, I I thought to myself, uh, strangely enough, the single greatest blessing we have, in fact, in it of itself becomes a barrier to prayer. So here's the greatest privilege that you have. I'll just go on and tell it to you. We can come to God at any time. Amen? It's wonderful news, isn't it? There's there's nothing that, that, that you don't have to go through a priest. We have a great high priest. 
came in this morning. You didn't have to go through a ritual of cleansing and so on and so forth. You can go to God any time that you want. However, however, I think that sometimes creates a barrier. Now, please just bear with me. I do not want in any way, shape, or form to undermine this true and certain reality, right? That you can go to God anytime. However, let's just do a thought exercise. Just hang with me. Let's do a thought exercise. Let's, let's think about the fact that there's not a whole lot that we do effectively that's spontaneous, right? Imagine if you're, a, say, a salesperson, and tomorrow you've got a huge sale, and it's in the morning. Are you going to just wing it? Are you going to just show up and say, well, I'll figure it out when I get there, right? Or, uh, or, or if you're um, uh, in medicine, right, and you're going to perform a surgery tomorrow, you're just going to we'll figure it out. I'll look at the x-rays right before I start and so on. So, well, well, of course not. If you're a teacher, are you going to get there tomorrow and we'll just figure the lesson plan out as we, you understand what I'm saying, right, what we're getting at, is that things that are important, you prepare ahead of time. So, so I'm be begging your patience. Can you go to God at any time that you want? Of course. But let's extend this thought one more time. Let's suppose, just for a moment, that you only were able to go to God one time in your life. Just one time, and let's just pretend. Y'all hanging with me? We're still pretending. It's going to be Thursday. And this Thursday, you get to stand before Almighty God for 15 minutes. Would you put some thought into what you would ask? And what you would listen for, well, of course you would. Of course you would. You, you would probably spend the next several days just thinking to yourself, well, now what am I going to ask? And what, you, you, we got 15 minutes. You're not going to just wing it. Now, again, you can go to God in prayer anytime. You best believe it. It's what Christ died to provide us for. But I want to encourage you this morning to also have times of prayer where you don't just wing it. I want to encourage you this morning to have some times when you meet with God and um, um, it, it's, it's thought through ahead of time, if that's the right way of saying it. I hope what I'm trying to communicate is coming across in a, in a grace-led way. And when we come to God, it's not just asking for things. Do you have any other relationship in your life where you meet with somebody and say, I'm going to meet you at Dunkin' Donuts and I just, we're going to meet for 30 minutes and I'm just going to, the whole time you're meeting them, just ask, ask, ask. Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you? Now, I have a relationship like that in my life. It's my three-year-old child. All she ever does is ask for stuff. Would you do this, Daddy? Would you do this? That's the mark of immaturity, right? Now, if she's still that way when, well, I don't know. We'll just see how that goes. <laughs> so this morning, just as we kind of think through, and I, and I hope what I was getting at is, of course, you've got the privilege. But there's something about, it's a deficiency, not with God, of course, but with us. Knowing we can go to him at any time, it almost, in our foolishness, creates an environment where we don't go to him at any time. Does that make sense? So, so the greatest prayer partner you've got is described in Hebrews chapter 4. What I want to do for just a few minutes this morning is give you seven quick things, and, and, and if we think of it this way, to either light a match or to stoke the fire over these seven seven. Uh, quick hit principles, if you, if you will, that will help you in your prayer life. So number one we're going to start with is pray using the Psalms as a guide. Pray using the Psalms as a guide. I think this is helpful if you've got a Bible and you open it to the very middle, just about, 
nine times out of ten, you'll come to a book of Psalms, right? 150 chapters. And the reason you've got the book of Psalms in your Bible is that the Psalms guide you in your prayer life. Uh, what I'm getting at is if you'll devote yourself to the careful consideration of the Psalms, it'll help you not just wing it when you pray. Uh, the, the Psalms are sort of a training manual for prayer. God has provided right here in the Bible an amazing tool to help us pray. And we don't know how to pray as we should. Do you know why I know that we don't know how to pray as we should? Go with me to Romans chapter 8. In his sovereignty, the Lord keeps bringing us back to this chapter. And it probably means that we need to devote some more time and attention to it, right? I know that we don't know how to pray as we should because the Bible says we don't know how to pray as we should. Look with me in Luke, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Helpful does this start there. When it comes to praying, what are we? We're weak. We are weak. Specifically, he says he's going to help us. You see, we're weak. Spirit's going to help. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever groaned because you just couldn't get the words out? This is a silly, it's a silly illustration. In 2016, I was watching a particular basketball game. Uh, and at the end, this shooter for Villanova, national championship game. Shoots a shot, it goes in, the team I was cheering for, done. And here was my response, Ugh! right? You know, you can't even speak. Now that's silly. That's the kind of things we groan about. The Spirit, friends, is not groaning over a basketball game or a football game. You know what the Spirit is groaning over? The lostness of the world. You know what the Spirit is groaning over? The light of the gospel and the heat going, going out. The Spirit's going to help us in our weakness because we don't know to pray for as we are. If we want an effective prayer life, begin with the confession, God, I don't even know what I'm doing here, right? And then the Spirit will help us. Now, what we're getting at under pray using the Psalms as a guide, let's put two doctrines together. The Spirit helps us, and who inspired the book of Psalms? All Scripture is breathed out by God. We believe the Scripture is inspired of the Holy Spirit. So doesn't it make sense? That the Spirit would use the book of the Bible, Psalms, right? That's here for us to use as a guide in our praying life. Now, in the coming weeks, on Sunday mornings, we're going to use specific Psalms as examples of how they help us. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to kind of bridge out on this point number one over the next couple of weeks. For example, we'll look at Psalm 10. Psalm 10 teaches us how to pray when the wicked seem to be winning. You ever look around the world and you say, man, the people who don't even follow God, they're, they're, they're the ones who have the best lives, right? Well, Psalm 10 will teach us how to pray when the wicked seem to be winning. Psalm 11 will teach us how to pray when you feel like giving up. I have to answer out loud this morning. Is anybody in here you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm ready to give up? I'm ready to take this towel, throw it in, wave the white flag. I'm done, right? Psalm 11 will teach us how do I pray, Lord, when that's how I feel. We'll keep going with Psalm 12. How to pray for your children, your grandchildren, and the next generation. How ought we to pray for those who are coming behind us? Psalm 13, how to pray when your soul is in agony. 
been there, haven't you? I don't even know how I'm going to get through tonight. Well, we'll study Psalm 13. Because in the Psalms, we see the anatomy of every part of the human soul. There's not an emotion that you will experience that is not evident in the Psalms. In the Psalms, we'll find people deeply grieving, sorrowful. We'll find people in the Psalms who are scared to death. We'll find people wrestling with doubts, clinging to hope, and all the other emotions that flood your soul are all evident in the, in the Psalms. So remember that the only thing that sustains us in prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. And the book of Psalms is the record of people who have sought him and left uh, a map, if you will, on, uh, for, us to, for us to follow. The Psalms are the record preserved in the Bible of those who've really sought him. I mean, the writers of Psalms, David, who wrote so many, and, and others, who is David? The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. And here in the Psalms, we'll have a record of his seeking the Lord. How can we know to whom it is we pray? The Psalms. How, how can we know what it is that we should be looking for? The Psalms will help us. When we say the Psalms, we're talking about the Scripture. I have a professor who I thought was one of the wisest people who ever lived. He says, uh, uh, or that I've ever known, said that um, the Psalms teach you how to walk with God. Proverbs teaches you for how have healthy relationships with other people, right? It's kind of how it works. The Psalms teach us how to walk with God. And then the next book, Proverbs, teaches us how to interact and have healthy relationships with other people. And what I'd like to say also is the Psalms are not just a map by those who have sought after God. They also found him. Amen? And they didn't just leave a few breadcrumbs behind. So one, we want to pray using the Psalms as a guide. Now, kind of our habit, our habit is when we get together to pray, we'll, we'll get a list or something. Let's get some prayer requests, right? Let's get some prayer requests, which uh, is a practice that we do, but in light of Romans 8, 26, what do we learn? We don't know how to pray as we ought. You know what a better, you know what a better idea than human beings getting some prayer requests together? You know what a better idea would be? is open the book of Psalms and see here's what God says we ought to pray for. Because one of, the best, one of the best results of praying is that God changes us. And one of the things we'll see very quickly in our prayer lives is we don't know how to pray as we ought. So we want to come to the book of Psalms. It would be a healthy practice for you. Just get a blank sheet of paper and open up to the first Psalm, if you will. Here's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's your prayer, re there's your prayer request. Here's what will happen. God, would you give me grace not to walk in the counsel of the wicked? And if you'll use the, prayer, uh, the Psalms as a guide, you know what will happen immediately. The Spirit's going to help you in your weakness. And boom, here comes all manner of ways that in my life I'm allowing the counsel of the wicked to come into my life. And now i got to change. Here we come to road, uh, 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 reason number two, we don't pray. Well, because we're confronted with ourselves. And we are a distraction. Can you help me with this? Can you agree with this? We are a distraction-obsessed culture. We don't want to deal with anything. I'd rather sit on my phone and scroll through my feed than ever approach God for him to reveal what needs to happen in my own life. This is easier to sit and scroll and sit and scroll and sit and scroll. But God has so much more for you in life than that. Pray, uh, number one, we use the Psalms as a guide. Number two, encouragement for you. Pray because Jesus 
is your high priest. Back here to Hebrews chapter 4, where we want to zero in on. Uh, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, we've done this a few times. In fact, our Bible study Wednesday morning just did this, but I think it's helpful, so you hang with me. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you got one, to Genesis chapter 3. And then at the same time, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. So basically, I'm asking you to turn near the very beginning of the Bible and then near the very end of the Bible. So this will work if you've got one of these old school paper copies of the, of the Bible, right? So Revelation, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Genesis three twenty-four. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There's a lot here, but I just want you to focus on those first few words. He drove out the man. Who's the he? It's God. What's he saying? You can't come here anymore. You've got to go. Sin had entered the world. Adam and Eve had sought the the place of God. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. It's not about, I just took a bite of an apple. No, that's not what it's about. It's that they sought to take God's place. Don't need you, don't want you, don't want your word, don't want your ways. We're in control now. You've said you made it and called it good. Hey, now we're going to make things and we'll decide whether they're right or wrong, good or evil. Now, hold your spot there. I want you to keep your spot. This helps. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Glorious passage. Apostle John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and, heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice with the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear in their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What happened? Genesis 3 drove them out. Revelation 21 welcomed in. How did we go from God said, got to get out of here till God himself coming down and I'm going to be with you. You got your spot there? You're holding it? That's what this whole book is about, friends. Are you holding your hands, the pages between the one and the other? That's what this whole book is about. Of how we went from being driven out to welcomed in. And here's the simple truth of the matter. The one who drove us out The one who drove us out came in our place. And all the reasons we had to be driven out, he took upon himself at the cross, died for them, shed his blood for them, so that he could then say, you're welcome to come in. If you want one particular place where that truth is most beautifully described, you can go to Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 51. The gospel record of when Jesus was on the cross. And the Bible says, Behold, so when Jesus is, verse 50, he would be 
be a great place to be, Matthew 27, 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit when he dies. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The curtain of the temple had been placed there to declare that you could come this close but no further. And now what's Jesus done? It's wide open. He is the high priest who gave himself as the acceptable offering. So for those who have faith in Christ, there is no barrier. Yes, you can come to him at any time. No curtain to go through, no no ritual to perform. You can come at any time because Jesus is the high priest. There's a story from our childhood. I don't know um, that it's probably one of those you had to be there stories. I'll just say that on the front end. But we had um, uh, some neighbors, and my brother Joe was good friends with them. And one day he went over to their house. And uh, he was there hanging out with the, with the guy. And uh, the guy had to run a quick errand back when we all rode bikes, you know. So he was going to run an errand on a bike, go get some food and come back. So his friend left Joe at his house by himself. And while the friend was gone, the dad came back and walks in and just finds Joe sitting there <laughs> in his chair with the remote watching the TV. And said, so, how did you get in here, right? And then Joe begins to try to explain all these things. I told you it was a you had to be their story. You know how things happen in your family, and they're funny to you, and then you stand on the stage and try to share, and it's just bombs. And that's kind of what's going on here. So, but what, what we're getting at is, friends, when we come to the throne of grace, we've got somebody who's not going to leave us. He's right there by us. You come to the throne of grace, he belongs to me. Died for his sin. Nothing, no, no, you don't need to keep him out. The, the grace of God, if you're tracking with me, the grace of God in Christ Jesus is greater than the flaming sword at the east of Eden. You know what I'm saying? So you can come in because Jesus is our high priest. In fact, he says, I want you to know that this word is because of Jesus. Let us then, verse 16, with what? Trepidation, nervousness, anxiety. I probably shouldn't be here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Praise God Almighty. Third, Jesus, pray knowing Jesus understands what it is like. Pray knowing Jesus understands what it is like. It says here in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like. There is nothing that you can bring to the Father that Jesus cannot relate to. He's been at the graveside, friends. He's seen evil and violence unleashed like no one else ever has. He's been hated. He's been betrayed. He's been misunderstood. He has been misrepresented. He's been misinterpreted. He's been physically exhausted. He knows what it's like to deal with angry people, sad people, hostile people, manipulative people. He's not unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. He knows you. Now, here's the other part of the good news. He knows everything that you've been through, but he does not know what it's like to break God's law. 
He does not know what it's like to be unrighteously angry towards another person. He does not know what it's like to succumb to temptation. So do you see the high priest that we have before us? He can sympathize with your weaknesses, but he never succumbed to your weaknesses. And yet he went to the cross and suffered and died as if he had committed every sin that you committed. This is our hope. This is the only one that we have. This is the only way we can come to God in confidence is that God came in the flesh and suffered in our place. Do you know what the word for that is? Draw near to the throne of grace. It's grace. It's grace. So we got to get the picture out of our mind that we've got to sort of earn our way in with our own righteousness or our own merit. No, you cannot draw near in confidence except because of the grace of Jesus. Amen? Number four, pray knowing this is how you receive help from God. This is how you receive help from God. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And here's where we need a course correction frequently in our own souls. Often, we want God to fix things when God is more concerned with fixing us. We don't want God to change us so much as frequently we want him to change someone else, right, or something else, and then therefore we don't pray. You see how it works? In prayer, in prayer, we're immediately faced with our own motivations. But pray knowing this is how you receive help from God. Hey, if um, in this service today, everything that you prayed would happen, happen. What would happen? Does that make sense? That sounds as confusing as I asked. Anybody ask that in this service, people would be saved? Did you ask that this week? Did you get on your knees and ask for the Holy Spirit to move in power among his people for his own glory? And five, we pray because this is the practice of Jesus. All right, well, so, so hold your spot there in Hebrews and Mark is uh, chapter 1. So if you're in Hebrews, turn to the left. Hebrew, uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 is a very short verse about the praying life of Jesus, but I want you to see it because though it's a short verse, it has a whole lot to, of help to give us. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is one of the places that we get insight into the praying life of Jesus. Do you think Jesus had a healthy prayer life? Do you think if you model your life, praying life, upon the, model, uh, the prayer life of Jesus, that that would be a, a good step to take, right? So Mark chapter 1, let's go on and confess again. We're weak when it comes to prayer. So we just want to say that before we even read this verse. Because the first phrase, y'all... Mark 135, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. It's challenging, isn't it? Uh, but good news, it's the throne of grace, right? So here's, here's the deal. This prayer series is not about, let's all feel really bad about our praying life, right? That's not, what we're, that's not what we're about. 
But we do want to see here that this is the practice of Jesus. So let's ask a few simple questions. When did Jesus pray? So, if, I mean, if we're, just gonna <laughs> if we're just going to take it step by step, first thing that has to happen is what? He rising very early. So the whole, we'll set our alarm and just lay there, and then we'll pray. No, no, got to, got to put the feet on the floor. Do you know what I'm saying? So when does Jesus pray? A couple of descriptions that we could use. Very early in the morning. What's very early in the morning? Well, that might be open to interpretation, depending on your own practice, right? So we know it's still dark, but here's, here's, the, here's the point. When did he pray? First thing. First thing. Before I do anything else. First thing. First thing. For this, in other words, this is a priority in his life, right? He doesn't rise first thing in the morning when uh, schedule has slowed down. He doesn't rise first thing in the morning when things are calm and quiet. He rises first thing in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of, in fact, just keep reading, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. When everyone was looking for him, he was looking for the Father. There's a prayer principle for your life. You busy? I'm sure you're busy. You might be a person, and man, everybody's looking for you. The family's looking for you. Workplace is looking for you. 50 people looking for you. Better to be sleep-deprived than prayer-deprived, amen? Better to rise 30 minutes earlier than to go prayerless the rest of the day. So when did he pray? First thing. And how? Or maybe a better uh, question would be where? It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, right, and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So he departed and went to a desolate place. So what, what are we getting at? Is he went to a place where he would not be distracted, right? Now this is back to our lives. This is an encouragement. So, some of us need to find a desolate place, and for us that means we leave the phone behind. Amen? Now, some of you are thinking, I'll take the phone, but I'll turn off the notifications. No, just leave it behind, right? Don't put it on vibrate. Don't put it on, just leave it behind. Seek him. Whatever, listen to me, friends, whatever would pop up on that phone or that feed pales in comparison to what you can know about God in the desolate place. Godliness is about growing in depth. And we are raising in a, we're becoming in a culture where we have no depth. We're about this deep. So shallow. One of the reasons is because we don't depart to go to desolate places. Build, build into your life undistracted time. Now, if you go to the undistracted place and you've been there about two minutes, and it feels like you've been there for 30 minutes, and, and you find yourself, oh, I want to go see. I, I just want you to know, this is why we don't pray, because it reveals things about us that make ourselves uncomfortable with ourselves, right? He went to a desolate place. Now, if you continued through this, uh, this Mark 1, he's so busy all day long with people who have tremendous needs, beginning with a leper and so on and, and so forth. But I want you to see where he starts. Maybe this would be a match for your life right now. Or we're stoking the fire a little bit. Maybe you've drifted to a place in your life where this is where you need to come back. First thing, I will pray. Now, I do think it's helpful to have a prayer time where um, it's first thing, but then it's an encouragement to build prayer into your life. 
Car time is a good place to start. Driving back and forth to work. Use that time to pray, to seek his face, to memorize the fighter verse so that we know who it is we're praying for and what we should be praying about. I've shared this before, but I came up with this little goofy uh, alliteration that just helps me to direct my praying by the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So on Monday, I pray for missions, Missions Monday, Monday morning. I'm going to get up, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for our global partners, I'm going to pray for the, the gospel to go forth and the great commission. T is, is Trouble Tuesday. Pray for people I know in their life, they have huge needs. Now, I'm not saying I won't pray for anybody's needs on Monday. You understand what we're getting at, right? Just a way to organize. Trouble Tuesday. People have got some deep sorrow, some deep hurts, some ongoing um, trouble in their life. Wednesday is witnessing Wednesday. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Open up a door for me to walk through, proclaim the truth. If my um, zeal for the, for, the, for the gospel and my love for my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus has grown cold, God, awaken it in me. Thursday is Thanksgiving Thursday. Again, we don't want to just always ask. We just want to come to, the God, come to God one day a week and just, here's what I'm thankful for, Lord. Friday is Friends and Family Friday. Y'all hanging with me? We all right? And pray for my friends. Pray for my family. For many Fridays in a row, I've prayed for the same two guys that I love dearly who don't know Jesus. Friday after Friday after Friday. I believe they'll get saved on a Friday. And then Saturday's a little, a little silly, but not silly. That's not, uh, but I pray for Sunday on Saturday. <laughs> so all day Saturday. On a, through the day on Saturday, I'm praying God do something among us tomorrow. Help the gospel to be clear tomorrow. Help us to love each other as we worship together. So, It helps me because I'm telling you again that praying doesn't come naturally to me, but it will come supernaturally through the Spirit. Six, pray because this is how we fight temptation. It's how we fight temptation. Mark 14, 38, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. What temptations are around me that I'm not watching for? Sometimes we watch and we don't pray, or we pray and we don't watch. They go together. And then seven, pray because when you see Christ you will find him how about that he's not hiding friends Mark I'm sorry Matthew chapter 7 verse number 7 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you ask seek knock are in what's called the present continuous tense means it's always ongoing i'm always asking i'm always seeking i'm always knocking i'm always seeking christ that's what we're getting at we don't want god's stuff we want him but that's actually a good filter for your life do you want god or do you just want his stuff that wouldn't make for a healthy marriage would it i just don't really love you i just love your stuff always loved exodus 33 verses 15 and 16 exodus 33 um it's right after the golden calf and, and Moses has come down from the mountain and found the people who are supposed to be on their way to the promised land and um, instead they're bowing down to a golden calf. In other words, they're mimicking the worship of the place they're supposed to be out of bondage from. And so God has said, well, I'm uh, paraphrasing a little bit. You can go read it this afternoon if you get some time in Exodus 33. God said, well, I promised Abraham that his descendants would go to the promised land and I'm going to send an angel before you and he'll go before you and he'll get you there. I made a promise, but I will not go with you, is what God said. 
angel will lead you. But it says, Moses said, this is important, if you will not go with us, how will it be known that we are, we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? Is it not by your going with us that we are made distinct? And that's when, right after that, God says, Moses, you've sought me. You're going to see me like nobody has ever sought me before. Because for 99.9999% of people, the promise of his blessing without his person would have been enough. I mean, if God would say, I'll bless you, but I won't go with you, most people would be okay with that. Most of our praying is in line with that. But Moses stood there and said, it's not enough that you would bless us, but not go with us. And here's where the uh, lesson is, friend. I need to re- learn this and relearn this and re-re-relearn this. God's greatest blessing is his presence. God's greatest blessing is Him. Not something He gives us, but who He really is. That is the greatest blessing. When Jesus dies on the cross and tears the curtain from top to bottom and opens it all up, is it behind the curtain? What's behind the curtain? Stuff? No. What's behind the curtain? Him. I came to give you me. When He drove Him out in the garden... What is he saying? You don't get to come near me because of your sin. And then when we get to Revelation 21 and he's coming down, the phrase is, his dwelling place will be with them. When the great prophet said he's coming, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. It's in your praying, it's in your praying that it's most evident whether you really want God's stuff or if you want him. Well, when we think about the great men and women throughout the scripture, if they could stand here today and give us some counsel, I think it would sound a little bit like this. If Adam, for example, were here to give us counsel after his spiritual passivity in uh, the garden in Genesis 3, after his uh, rebellion had unleashed such devastation in his own relationship with his wife and in the world, I think one of his first counsels for us would be be much in prayer. If Moses was here, after all he saw, be much in prayer. If David and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Esther and Ruth were were here, be much in prayer. We'll conclude by reading one more time here in Hebrews chapter 4. Our aim this morning has simply been to give you seven either matches or (laughs) prods in the fire, right? But this is what keeps the flame going, is praying in light of this reality. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's stand together and we're going to pray together. And then we enter a time of invitation and the invitation is simply an opportunity for you to sort of think through everything that we've looked at from the scripture 
And my encouragement to you as your pastor is it's invitation time that you just mark some things. Here's what I'm going to do now in light of what we heard. Because if we string together Sunday after Sunday, hearing but not doing, you know what the Bible says? I'm paraphrasing. That's not good. <laughs> Don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer. So with your head bowed, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. This is not going to be an exhaustive list. I'm just going to give you a few potential applications, and maybe you just grab a hold of one of them. One, I purpose in my life with God's help to make prayer the first activity of my day. Or, God, would you give me help to build prayer into my uh, into my life, maybe in my drive time. Maybe I need to get back to praying with my children at night. Encourage you husbands, to you purpose in your heart, not to let several days go by where you don't come alongside your wife and you pray together. Maybe you purpose that you're going to hold on to that word, let us draw near with confidence. God, we need help. Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that some of the things that we've looked at in your word spur us on this morning. For some of us, it just begins with the confession. I, we don't know. We don't know. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray as I ought. I'm asking for your help, God. Thank you that you've provided this wonderful book in the Bible called the Psalms that will, that will help us. And I just keep asking in the present continuous. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, Father, that you would awaken, you would awaken a deep movement of prayer among your people in this place. Father, thank you that we have a great high priest. Thank you that he's faithful, he's sure, he's steady, he's strong. And, and I'm on the authority of your word, I'm drawing near with confidence in Christ to ask your help in a time of need that you would teach us and move us to more prayerfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.